Hello, this is Richard Outram, and welcome to the Prepare for Growth podcast series, bite-sized wisdom for leadership and personal development. So thank you for taking time out to join me. I'm so grateful for this unique opportunity. Okay, and in this week's podcast, I'm thrilled to introduce Tom Douglas, CEO of JMark, IT support and services. He is a keynote speaker, business coach, author, technologist, people puzzle wizard, servant leader, culture champion, and people elevator. Tom built JMark to become one of the fastest growing businesses in America, hitting the Inc. Magazine's list of 5,000 fastest growing private companies nine different times. Prior to JMark, Tom was in the US Navy. He is the author of Adapt or Die, How to Create Innovation, Solve People Puzzles, and Win in Business. Tom is a board member of the Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, Workforce Development Board, and Ozarks Counseling Center. And Tom's wisdom bite for today is the algorithm of business success. Tom, it is a pleasure to have you on board. This is just going to be a fabulous conversation. I've researched you, I've listened to you being guests on a podcast, and I think what you've done in the business and personal world has been simply tremendous. So thank you for being and agreeing to be on the show. Thank you. Uh, well, thanks, Richard. I absolutely appreciate the chance to to speak with you and share a little bit. Look forward to the conversations. You're you're quite the accomplished guy yourself, and so I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, thank you so much, Tom. And did you want to add anything else to the introduction? Uh, no, it's you know they uh, we we write those things you know trying to 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 share and drive some credibility, but you know at the end of the day it's all about serving people and and having a great time doing it. And and at the end of the day, when you measure success. That's what we've done. We've been able to make a little difference in the world. And so that that's the, if we were going to put a shining star on something, that that's, that's what matters. I'm happy that our paths have, have crossed, uh, Tom, because uh, you came via referral from Amanda Holmes, our dear friend who I'd on a previous podcast, and she just spoke just wonderful things about you. So thank you for being here again. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Okay, so first segment, what have you learned? Um, I want to talk a little bit about the culture you built at JMark, and it's a fascinating story. We're going to get into the various phases of how you turn that business around. Um, I guess the legacy was looming, and you took it over, you bought it over, and, and you and you turned it around. I want to get into that in the next segment, but the big thing that I, I learned about you is how you built the culture at JMark. So what does it mean to work at JMark? Yeah, you know, good question, and and probably hard to articulate. If you think of it in terms of a little bit like trying to describe, you know, if somebody said it described love, um, you know, it's like you don't really know it, but until you feel it, and then you really know it, and that's a little bit what it's like in our culture. Um, you know, you, I can use words like family and servant leadership and and meaningful but they they fall short of really describing what the culture really encompasses all the way through the organization because we've been able to develop an environment where the team winning is always more important than the individual winning and and so people are always willing to help always willing to step in and and sacrifice you know their their day their time you know their priorities whatever it may be so that the team or somebody else in the organization can can win or get what they need the resources help or support and when you have that mentality of of always giving more than you receive and and, and that propagates through the whole organization 
then there's a lot of magic that happens. And, it, and that's what we've been able to foster and develop over the years. There's so much, you know, written documents and reports about culture and, and the old saying, culture eats strategy. Comment yeah. on that. Yeah, you know, I, I really want to learn how you do it because I think it's fascinating. So go ahead, please. Yeah, I, I think I think there's wisdom in the idea that culture eats strategy. I mean, we we operated for years without a strategy. I mean, our strategy was like keep the doors open, be able to pay the bills, you know, like pay people for payroll. I mean, like we we did it's like you know hold on white knuckles, you know, just do the best you can. Uh, but we always focused on culture. We we just wanted to to treat people like everyone was a leader. You know, you know David Marquette's uh, you know leader leader methodology. You know something I know you're familiar with. Yeah. Uh, it, it's huge in our organization. We actually had David come in and speak. Um, I wanted the team to be able to hear it directly from him and in his story and in that that idea of culture. Um, driving, I mean, when, when a team comes together, you can overcome anything. And when, when you're working together, when you're powering forward and, and nobody's worried about glory and, and no one is worried about, you know, stepping on toes or saying the wrong thing because you, you don't have the courageous conversations in the, in the company or whatever, like we, we never had those problems. The, the challenges we had were, were how can we, how can we grow the business and not lose it? Like we, we just don't want to lose the culture. It's, it's got to be the foundation of everything that we do. And, and man, we've been so fortunate to have the right people to make that happen. And, and it hasn't been uncommon um, in larger organizations, Tom, that uh, we'll bring in a, a chief HR officer. And the first thing we said, help us change the culture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're, you're responsible for changing the culture. Yeah. Yeah. No, no way. Can't, can't do it. No culture starts at at the top, but it it is uh, exemplified at the bottom um, of the organization. And and you've got to lead from the front you've got to know that the goal is to serve your team. I mean, the upside uh, upside down pyramid of leadership is is really what we believe in. Um, And when, when I recognize that my job as, as the CEO is to do nothing other than set everybody else up for success, uh, and help them to improve their lives, then, and that goes layer by layer throughout the organization, then it takes care of itself. I mean, you, you get self-accountability, you get peer-to-peer accountability, managers are, are leading and coaching instead of bossing um, and, and having to do, to do those kinds of things. And sure, you have to have courageous conversations. Everything is not nirvana. And, and you know, we have people that don't fit. We, you know, we have underperformers and we have people, literally, we had a, a guy, uh, oh, a few months ago who, who left the organization. He said, you guys are a little bit too much like a cult, man. It, it's just not for me. I, I am not that into, into work. Like, he, he just like, it wasn't his game, which is totally fine. You know, it's not for everybody. Um, but but we call it G, uh, bleeding J Mark Blue. Uh, and if you if you believe the J Mark Blue, then then you're going to fit in and do great. Awesome, awesome, beautifully said. Thank you for that. And and how does J Mark's culture reinforce strategy and purpose? Well, I you know one of the things that I I spent some time uh, working on and and sharing in my book was was what I described as the value loop, and that is, <clears throat> excuse me. How, how does the strategy of the organization actually facilitate success for each individual in the company? And, and when you can tie that full circle of life, if you will, back to the, the WIFM, what's in it for me? So how does the company 
getting to reach its objectives. So whether it's a growth goal or a valuation goal or a certain amount of safety or cash in the bank that, that you're working towards, how does that support and serve the individual? And so we spend a lot of time in the company telling the story of how the company's success leads to the individual's success and how it, it, it is a requirement of the individual to create value that then leads to value in the business so that it can be paid full, full circle. And, and when you understand that it's a little bit like the chicken and the egg, um, you don't know which one comes first, but everything has to work together for, for that to come uh, around and, and serve everyone then, then the alignment of the whole organization comes together. So our goal is an example. Our goal in, in our in our company right now, we're two years into a four-year goal uh, that, that we describe as one, two, three, four by four. And it's that we want to have a smaller team. We want to be able to pay that group of folks 123% of market pay um, and with full benefits and all that included in that number um, and reach $4 million of EBITDA in four years. Uh, so one, two, three, four by four. Well, the EBITDA is value in the business. It's it's safety because we're producing enough cash to set aside for a rainy day and do all the things that we need to do to properly protect the business that also serves the individual. But also we we want that that elite team. You know, we we want ninjas and rock stars in the organization and we want to pay them for it. And we want people fighting to be a part of our company. And so our our long-term strategy as an organization absolutely serves that individual because if they're getting paid above market, obviously they're able to support their family and maybe go to that extra vacation or, you know, help kids with college or whatever their goals and dreams are in life. We want to serve that as well. And so when we, when we tie that story back together, man, it just, it, it's a firecracker. And it's wonderful because again, I, I followed you and, and J-Mark here, Tom, and, and I can tell that, um, You've really put this down to simple, simple, singular, and powerful ideas, right? I mean, you've cut through a lot of complexity I can sense in your business, you know? Um, you have clearly taken on the leader as a role model, right? And as you say, that cascades down. I love the, I love the point, and I try to leave that in my own um, kind of executive role of an inverted pyramid. And I can tell that that begins to cascade, but it starts at the tone at the top, all right? And, and you've, sh you've shaped the culture from an operational standpoint and your systems around management and human levers, right? I mean, you, you're really taking it down to the grassroots is what I sense. I've seen quite a few of your videos, et cetera. And I think it's a beautiful thing, Tom. Well, thanks. We, we try real hard and, you know, it, it, it's a, at the end of the day, it's a complex business. Um, and one of my favorite phrases from Da Vinci is uh, simplification is the ultimate sophistication. Um, and, and so, you know, a lot of what we do in technology management is to simplify an environment and, and cut out the complexities. And we, we try to do the same thing in business and, you know, tech is always going to be complicated, but, but when it comes to treating people right and, and leading from the front, it doesn't have to be complicated. It, you know, you, you just have to make sure that you're focused on serving people and making a difference. And when that's your heart and your goal, then, then the rest of it. It, it, it works out, even though there's long days and hard hard work that has to be done along the way. Absolutely. So you mentioned um, about people fitting in and, and not everyone fits in, but uh, you talk about uh, people puzzles. So what are the keys to fixing people puzzles? <laughs> well, uh, I, I wouldn't say that I've got all the answers, uh, uh, but I, I tell you what, I 
Yeah, I think it starts with with honor and respect. I think so often we it, it's an old word, uh, but I, I see it as a treasured word to honor someone. Um, and, and when you're solving people puzzles, if you start with honor, like how can I make sure that this person feels honored and respected at the end of this conversation? Uh, so if you're working through a, a personality difference between folks or a performance issue, or, or if you're, you know, like, um, you thought somebody had a skill set that they don't have, you know, they're not up to par. If you start with that honor first by, by treating them well, knowing that you want the best for them. And the purpose of the conversation is to help them to overcome a problem and to, and to power forward and be better at the end of the conversation that they are at the start of the conversation. Even if it's a tough conversation where you're, you're providing that, that constructive feedback or, you know, being a little critical of somebody's work performance or whatever it may be, even if that's the need or the intent, if you focus on that honor, you win at the end of the day. And so many people are quick to, point fingers and so quick to blame or so quick to just tell people they they suck or they're not good enough or, you know, you need to step it up. It's like that, that doesn't serve anyone. It, sure. It may be the, the truth in, in terms of what needs to be heard and said, but, but, you know, I, I, I always uh, liken it to the, the, the truth can, can be a hammer uh, or it can be a guiding glove, you know, and, and if you, if you use it well, it, it becomes something that, that you can pay forward, but use it wrong and you're just hammering people and, and that, that kills a culture quickly. And it's amazing, Tom, how this just boils down to just the golden rule of spirituality, right? Which is treat others how you want to be treated. I mean, it's just amazing. You can read as many business books as you want, but ultimately people want to be heard. They want to be seen and they want to be respected, right? I that's mean, it. And and business flows from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. And and when you when you create that that mood in the organization, you know, it flows through to customer service. You know, we're fortunate to have amazing CSAT results and and net promoter scores that are off the charts for our industry and some of those kind of crazy things. Uh, and, and some we're going to, you know, like we share it with people uh, outside of our world and they're like, oh my gosh, that is amazing. Like, like nobody achieves those kind of outcomes. It's like, we're really not surprised. It's not that we're arrogant about it, but, but when you, when you have that commitment and that focus on treating people well, it just flows through to the customer. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Okay. Um, you know, one commonality you and I have is um, this fantastic book by Les McEwen called Predictable Success, where he yeah. talks about a framework for recognizing the various phases of business and what you must do to get to predictable success. And I, I, um, I studied your, uh, you know, your phases of your growth. And I know when you took the business over, um, I think it was was from a family member, if I remember rightly. Uh, no, there was a family member who helped me uh, to to recapitalize the company, That's but right. but the guy that I bought the company from was it was a, a guy who became a friend. Right, and so so the phases. So I'm starting with not what Les talks about because he starts with the early struggle, fun, white water, predictable success. So I'm going to start with the big rut and the death rattle because it sounds <laughs> as though there was a legacy which was looming <laughs> when you took it over. That is so, correct. So take us through that case study. It's fascinating to see it in reality. Oh, it's so real. I mean, we yeah. 
as an organization were we were we were stuck in in that death rattle mode for a while. I mean, the business model was wrong, it was broken, it wasn't aligned to the customer. So at the time to to paint the story just really quickly, we we were we were a break fix IT shop. So something broke, we came in, we fixed it, we charged you by the hour. Well, well the problem was it was totally unpredictable. And the, the customer was frustrated. So back in, in the, these days, we didn't have all the remote access and the, the software that we have today. So the customer would be frustrated at the fact that it took us a day to get there. And then they would be frustrated at how long that it took to fix the problem. They would be happy for a moment when we actually fixed it. And then they would be pissed off again when they got the invoice. I mean, there was, there was nothing about any of that that was positive. And in, in our world, it's like, well, how are we going to make payroll and be consistent and grow and invest in people when everything is unpredictable? Um, and, and so we, we broke the business model apart and we just went to a level pay for our clients and, and just rebirthed the whole thing around, like, we know approximately how much you're going to consume in t- technology services. So we're going to, we're going to average that out. And then we, we, we actually sold it in, in by saying we're, we're going to average it and add 10% because we know that if you go to an all-you-can-eat buffet, you're going to eat more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we added 10% to it and we sold it. And within about a year and a half, two years, uh, maybe just a smidge longer, we we had 100% of the overhead of the business covered in those recurring contracts. And that gave us permission to actually invest in people and the future of the business and totally transform things and, and do it in the right way. And that's been the kind of the key to our being able to fuel our success is, is when, when we aligned what winning looks like with our customer and with us and our team and the business model itself, then it all came together and it was a struggle, man. There was a lot of late nights and a lot of paychecks that I didn't cash for, for weeks and weeks. You know, you, you know, the stories of, of entrepreneurship and yeah. you're paying everybody else and you're wondering how you're going to pay your own mortgage. Um, it was, it was those kinds of struggles that we were dealing with. And, uh, we, we were fortunate. We had some folks in the family and, a, another friend who invested into the organization and, um, and we got it turned around. It was rough, but we did it. Wow. And and nine times making the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing companies. Congrats, man. That yeah, is fantastic to you and the entire team. So I want to go a little bit further. Let's go a little bit deeper because it sounds as though, you know, went through this def- uh, decline phase, but then you literally had to turn it around. And I'm, I'm, I want to hear about you, you. You articulated the early struggle. It was almost like a startup again. Yes. All right. Then you had the fun phase. And then, of course, everything becomes more complicated and you got to develop a plan and you got to understand the relationship between revenue and costs and cash flow and all that stuff. Yeah. And you're, you're going through whitewater phase now. You got to set your vision and all that good stuff. But, you know, what I found at those phases, Tom, is it's a very important thing to be able to kind of balance the spirit of entrepreneurialism and innovation with the right level of process and procedures and so forth because you could tilt the balance the other way and get back into the def- the decline phase so tell us because you were able to now invest in the people processes it sounds like yes all right once you started to once you fix the kind of the basic economics of the business and you start to generate cash flow um i'm sure that probably felt a bit like the fun phase um but then yeah. you start to grow and things start to go a bit haywire again tell us about that 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Les does such a good job describing it. I mean, all the way from like the the, the big dogs or the old dogs, if, if yes. you will. And, you know, we had some of those. And, and I'll tell you the things I, I didn't want process, man. I was like, we don't need process. Don't give me rules. I'm a rule breaker. So if you put it in front of me, I'm going to shoot it. Um, and, uh, but I, I came around, uh, you know, it, 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 we, we learned that the only way that you can keep your promises to your customers is to have repeatable processes. So, you, you know, if you're saying yes in the sales process, you have to be able to deliver and, and keep that promise. And when I was the sales guy and doing a lot of the service, that was really easy. But as the business started to scale, if I said yes to something in the sales process, but I didn't have a way to communicate that to the folks that were delivering the service, then the outcomes were totally different. We went through this phase of, of our, our existence. It was, it was horrible because I was saying yes, and other people were saying yes in the sales process. And then the service guys would get there and they'd be like, why did we say yes to this? We we don't know how to do that, or we we can't do this. And some of us did, but they didn't, and, and it just turned into a big mess. <clears throat> and so it was through that 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 pain, I guess, if you will, of of you know feeling like you let somebody down either inside the organization or you let somebody you know a client down that that you'd made a promise to. It's like oh, we got to fix this. Uh, and so we, we really, we overcomplicated it at first, big time, like it became this behemoth of a thing and everybody was fighting against it, except for the accounting people. They were like, do more of that. Um, but other than that, it was horrible. Um, and, and then over time we realized how meaningful it can be to, to get it done. And it's been a game changer, absolute game changer. So I admittedly, when I read the book a couple of times and I brought it to, you know, various companies I, I worked with, um, there were times where I scratched my head because I'm saying, you know, there's so much here. Where do you start? Yeah. So my, my question to you, Tommy, is given where you are, because this is almost like the case study for phases of business and how you get to that level of predictability. If you could, if you could boil it down to two or three processes you would start with in a company mm -hmm. which is, you know, which has gone through that decline and then wants to get back up, where would you start? Yeah. Uh, oh, good question. Um, I, I would say how you sell, how you, how you transact yeah. from sales to delivery. Yeah. Um, how you verify delivery and, and how you invoice. Um, if you, if you started those, layers to make sure that whatever you promise people know how to deliver and and they they know what was promised and they know how to do it and then you deliver it you know we we describe it in the service department that that our job is to tell them what we're going to do do what we say and tell them what we did um and and when you follow that process and then you make sure that the communication goes to the accounting side of the house so that the invoices match what was originally sold and the documentation is all in place when we got just those pieces right, it it made it made all the difference. So I guess guess I'd probably start there. Doing what you say and saying what you do is sounds like the definition of trust. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. That's it. <laughs> which is which is back to the basics of business. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. So if you were to if you were to go a little bit further, because you clearly invested in the people processes. Yes. What would be what would be the kind of top one or two people processes you invested in? Um, 
Well, I, I think it, it is like the the logistics and the, the, what I describe is, is company cadence, um, which serves the people. Because if 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 you don't get the cadence of the organization right, then then everything breaks down. And that and what I mean when I say company cadence, it's annual goals, quarterly quarterly goals or rocks. If you're familiar with, I know you're familiar with EOS. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the quarterly rocks that turn into like monthly meetings, weekly meetings, you know, uh, down to one on one management. And, and the flow of communication inside the organization is so critical. And then getting that feedback the other way is, is, is the, kind of the gift, if you will. So when you build that trust and you, you build those relationships and flow, you can have the one-on-one -on -one meetings and have the courageous conversations, create the psychological safety in the business and, and in the relationship. You can have the conversation with the individual and then you can shut up and listen. And, and hear what is going on from their perspective and, and, and then adjust and then take that back to the teams and the quarterly planning and, and the things that need to be facilitated in the business to make sure that the experience for each individual is, is healthy and productive and, and, and positive at the end of the day. Uh, and you're not going to get everything right. I mean, it's impossible. We, you know, we still screw things up, but, but, you know, it, we, we anticipate our goal is that, 70% of the things that, that we do inside the organization should, should create a positive experience. 30%, you're, you're going to have bad days. You know, you're just going to have bad experiences. You know, somebody's really angry or frustrated at the technology or it doesn't perform right or it fails or whatever the case may be. But if we can get it to the point where 70% of the time it's like, today was a good day, then then the culture is going to continue to thrive. And, and that cadence really serves as, as one of the the key components to make that happen. Fabulous advice, Tom. I, I couldn't agree more on that one. I mean, this is where companies break down. The more complicated you get, your your cadence of communication has got to stay with it. And, and I love the point of you saying that this gets down to one on one because that's really where the magic occurs. You know, yes, um, it's really is that 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 one on one time um, to make things happen and continue to reinforce values and so forth. Um, so. The other thing that I found in businesses of probably the size of, of J Mark and others, and it's with every business, frankly, it doesn't matter how big you are, is, you know, well, it's a question of prioritization. How many priorities you got? And people will say, I got 10. Well, if you got 10 priorities, you really yeah. don't have a priority. <laughs> how, did you, how did you deal with the prioritization of what really matters in your business at certain points in your phases, you know? Um. Gosh, uh, man, we we screwed this up so bad for so long. Um, it's been it's been about four or five years ago now. I I had a kind of a meltdown moment because we 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 were just not in sync as an organization, and things weren't getting done right, and everything was kind of breaking down, and we were trying to to use the you know Vern Harnish's methodology and scaling up and we were trying to cascade information right but we we weren't good at it and uh so I brought not just the executive team together I brought the entire leadership team so anybody that had a direct report came together and we started a process in our in our world of of quarterly and annual planning embracing that whole team and and coming together and we now have it to the point where they provide us all of the possible things that may need to be done in the business. And then, and then we go through a prioritization process 
and then we weight everything based on effort and impact. Um, you know, like, hey, you know, it's going to take us 80 hours to get this done and it's going to have a little bitty benefit. Well, that, that one gets backlogged and, and we focus on other ones that, that are going to have a bigger impact. And when we got everybody behind the mission of solving the problems in the business and, and got the buy-in, got the commitment of everybody, and, and we worked through that methodology and it took us a year to get it good. And then we've just constantly improved it since then. It, it made all the difference. It, it literally came down to you've got to get the leadership team bought in to the work that you're asking them to do. And then it flips and they're asking to do the work that they know needs to be done on the business. And you're just approving. And sometimes we actually have to back it off and we have to be like, no, 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 that's that's too much work for you this quarter. I don't want you to kill yourself. So so let's back that off and, and do 50 percent of what you're suggesting or whatever the case may be. And, and when that came together for us in terms of uh, alignment, prioritization, and really people quantifying like the, the effort and the impact that's going to be required to get the things done in the business, it, it shifted everything for us. It was, it was massive. Oh, wow. Music to my ears, Tom. That is just fantastic. I mean, everything you're saying, um, you know, I've learned over my three, three or so decades of, of business and I've seen where companies have made mistakes and the ones have been successful, why? And, and you're hitting on exactly the points, exactly the points. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, on the point of pre predictable success, how do you avoid getting back to those decline phases? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so so that process that we were just talking about in terms of our, our quarterly cadence, yeah. uh, evaluating, so we, we set annual goals and then, and then we work on the quarterly rocks that support the annual goals. And, um, and that buy-in process, I mean, it's a two-day process for the leadership team. I mean, it's a massive amount of effort every quarter that, that we go into it. But a part of that is innovation. What are the things that we need to do to streamline the business, to improve the client experience, to, include, to improve our experience, or what products need to come to market that are going to make a difference for our customers? And, you know, what, what's going on in the landscape? So we're doing the the SWOT analysis and we're bringing in those kinds of things and we're really engaging the front lines and the team and, and we encourage every single leader to go to their team and, and work through the SWOT before they bring that back to the larger group so that we're hearing it like, you know, the guy on the front lines, like, you know, these, I, I continually get this kind of call. If we could just fix this one problem, it would speed up the whole business. Like, well, how do we automate it? How do we, how do we innovate? How do we solve that problem where it doesn't require so many humans? And, and it's that feedback loop and, and then listening and doing those suggestions that, that make the difference in, in what, uh, how we don't get stuck into, you know, kind of the, the death rattle mode, if you will, uh, because the team is driving the innovation from, the, the front lines and, and from the middle of the company. Uh, and I'll come up with a shiny thing and I got to prioritize it. You know, like my vote doesn't count any higher than anybody else's, you know, what's the effort and the impact and does, you know, I, you know, I had one I was all excited about last quarter and we had to backlog it because there just wasn't enough capacity to do it. Um, and, and that's okay because the, the other ideas that were brought to the table were more valuable. Fabulous. So, so, so Les also has a follow-up book, which is called the synergist. And he mm -hmm. talks about, you know, the various personalities and DNA traits of making a business. And I'm curious, as you grew, J. Mark, to what it is today, Tom, you know, between the visionary operator, the processor and the synergist, 
which one were you and how did you build that team? Because it is it is critically important you got the right mix to get yeah. to equal level of success, you know? Yeah, I, I I think I wore different hats at different phases of, of our journey. Um, you know, for a long time, I had to just be the visionary, but I, I kind of had to be, you know, the the operator, the integrator uh, as well uh, until we we either could afford or we had the right personalities and, and skills in, in the business for us to hand that off. And uh, I, but I would say more often than not, I was the synergist. I was the one because I was I was at the time. It's not the way it is today, fortunately. But at the time, I was the only one that understood everything that was happening in the business. I knew how to sell. I knew how to onboard clients. I knew how to deliver services and, and solve problems. And I knew how to invoice. I knew how to do payroll. Like I I knew the whole the whole thing. And it if you didn't have the appreciation for how hard it was for somebody else to do their job, then um, you know it was it was I guess the ask a little bit falls on deaf ears, but, but when you have that appreciation, cause you've been there and you've done it and you've, you've written the checks or you've run the payroll or you've stayed up all night fixing servers. I mean, I, I had the, the, the great fortune to know what it's like to be in every seat. And that synergistic mindset helped me to have the empathy necessary to lead the team through these struggles in, in these tough times. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well said. And look, I, I can tell, Tom, that you're a constant learner. Uh, you've quoted yeah. some of the the uh, classic texts that, um, that we both love, quite frankly. I do want to get to adapt or die because that's that's the, the crux of this conversation. Before then, though, you mentioned, um, you know, uh, you know, scaling up by Vern Harnish, you know, turn yeah. the ship around by David Marquette and traction by Gina Wickman. Just a few Key wisdom bites, a few takeaways from perhaps each of those. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time. So I want to get to adapt or die. But but tell me what for the listeners, what were the key wisdom bites that you gleaned from from those um, from those books? Ooh, well, if we start with uh, so scaling up, uh, you know, one of the things that Vern teaches in that book is um, is is focus on one area of the business at a time. You you can't you you can't fix a cash problem and an operations problem concurrent to a sales problem. Like fix the most important and the most urgent area of the business first. We we would spend, you know, a year, 18 months, two years sometimes fixing a certain area of the business before we would really move on. And it's not that they didn't get attention, but the the heavy energy of, of the business. And so I think I think you know the the one real strong component that we learned from scaling up is cascading information and focus on one area of the business at a time. Um, <clears throat> you only have so much, so many resources. Yeah. Um, um, you know, Les McEwen, I could, I could talk about it until the cows come home. Um, but I would probably go back to the synergistic role and how important it is to get that right and never let yourself stop innovating. Uh, kind of the foundation of, of, of adapt or die and what we've seen so many businesses do uh, over the years. And, um, yeah, so I, I would say, make sure that you, you, you balance process operations and delivery against innovation. And when you find that, that balance, then, then the organization is, is healthy and sustainable for sure. Absolutely. Um, turn the ship around David Marquette. Yeah. Leader, leader and the leadership ladder. That one's easy. Uh, we, we teach that as a part of new employee onboarding. 
Um, and, and we teach the leadership ladder and, and where you start at the bottom of tell me what to do and that the goal is, you know, to climb all the way to the top of the ladder. And, and this is what I've been doing. Uh, and, and, oh, I would say once a quarter, sometimes two or three times a quarter, we have to have a, a conversation with someone in, in the company or multiple people in the company be like, sounds like you're falling down on the leadership ladder again. Like you're, you're, you're coming and saying, tell me what to do. And really the culture is you, you should be trying to figure out how, how to not be told what to do, but you know what to do because you know, your role and your responsibilities. And, and so, so if you didn't have me to come to, what, what would you do? And, and they almost always know the answer. They're just looking for confirmation. And so it's just helping. It's a great coaching tool to help people, where everyone sees themselves as a leader in the business. Uh, so that's that's fantastic for us. I mean, the linchpin of all this, Tom, is self-accountability. And, and, and we as leaders on the leadership ladder have absolutely got to do a better job at enabling that. Yes. I mean, so we're too, too quick to give the answers or we're not asking the right curiosity questions or whatever, right? And so uh, some people can give up, right? And just say, okay, he's got the answer. Maybe what's the point? But uh, the magic you're saying is how do you get people to really drive self-accountability. That's the linchpin of all this, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's exactly right. When you empower them and and you give them permission to make mistakes and screw up every now and then, and they, you know, I, I probably had to say it 100 times inside of our company before it really took hold. And that is that people aren't going to get fired for making a mistake. Uh, you know, people are going to get fired for making the same mistake over and over and over and not learning from it. Um, but but failing is learning as long as you're leaning into it and in taking something out of it then it's gold absolutely all right so i want to get on to the the, the the big item here which uh i'm sure you're really proud about this um you know the algorithm of success um the business system from adapt or die so describe that for us yeah so over the years um the whole reason for the for the book was to share some of the wisdom that i've learned from some incredible people and mentors and coaches along the way and, and, and just pay it forward. And so it, you know, it, it starts with um, the, well, the, the whole idea is that it's an algorithm because it, it's not a simple formula within each section of it. It's a, it's got its own set of formulas and sub formulas and all of those kind of things. And when we were working our way through business, we didn't understand any of them. I mean, we literally, we started with a, a white canvas, um, but it starts with leadership first and foremost, and making sure that you, you've you got that nailed up and you know what you want to represent, how you want to serve people inside the business, you know, kind of that servant leader mentality and making sure that that's, that's right. We, if you'll for, forgive my Navy language, uh, you know, we say that, that nobody wants to work for an asshole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you, you've got to, you've got to understand that, that you, you've got to represent people in a positive way. And so we talk about leadership first and foremost. Um, and that's kind of the foundation, if you will, or, or the roof in, in the image, you know, it's the overarching cover for the whole organization. And then it gets into product and, and understanding who your target customer profile is, how you create value for them and, and what's appropriate, how you reach them, what they do in their spare time how they learn and, and really understanding your customer uh, and then what promises you're going to make to your customer that, that you know you can deliver. And so the product becomes the promise that becomes the brand of the organization. Uh, and then once you understand the product, then it moves into the strategy. So how fast do you want to grow? And, and so we kind of lean, we, we learn, we lean on the, on the previous components of the algorithm as it goes through. 
So the, the strategy leans on the product. So how many do you need to sell over what period of time in order to hit the goals of the company? That then And once you know how fast you want to grow and where you want to go, that helps you to build the growth engine, which is the next phase. Uh, because if you if you know you need to sell 10,000 of something, you know, you don't hire a junior salesperson who's never sold anything. Uh, you have to you have to hire experience. And so that helps you to build uh, that, that growth engine inside the organization and, and do it really well. And um, and then from the the growth engine uh, it kind of feeds into um, uh, and just went blank. The, uh, the the financial model of, of what we we feed into and and we we have to understand that that when we understand our cost of sales and a return on sales and and then that feeds into the gross margins of the business that we know how to scale so how much can we invest in people how much can we invest in sales how much can we invest in in future acquisitions or expansion into the business and and then how do we create safety in the business because you know we describe it, inside of our organization is winter is always coming. Uh, and so if you're not creating safety and, and putting some cash in the bank for those dark days, then you're, you're making a bunch of mistakes. Uh, that feeds into people. So how, how many people, how are you gonna serve those people? What are you gonna do as an organization to, to make sure that you're surrounding and operating with leadership code of conduct and in, in how, you, how you treat people uh, inside the business? And, and then, um, People, the one-on-one -on -one management, the company cadence, all that kind of flows through those areas. And then that, that goes into the operations of the business, uh, which is how do you get work through the business? So from marketing all the way through to cash collection, uh, how does everything come together in those handoffs and who's responsible for what within the business? And then the last thing is processes. Uh, so the processes become the key to how you keep your promises that, that started way back in the in the product side. So it, it feeds into itself from, from that arena. And your your um when you when you create the processes, it it creates the training opportunities the, or the training foundation to make sure that the business comes together. And so when when you break it all all the way through the company, the the product, the strategy, the growth, the financials, the people, the operations. In the processes, it comes together in such a way that the business starts to hum. Um, that's right, and and it's it's, it's a whole ecosystem. Uh, so, 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 Tom, thank you for that. that was, yeah, sorry, uh, long long answer. Oh no, not at all. I wanted to spend some time on this, so so thank you for that. Um, so, in in your travels, of of all those multiple phases and aspects of a business, they're all you know cogs within a within a wheel here, right? And they yeah. almost um, synchronize and, and act accordingly, right? Um, of the successful companies, of those cogs, which ones have they gotten right? Um, if you, if, if, again, pick a couple of them and just say, you know, successful company, we all know that they must act in tandem and this is an ecosystem. But if you were to say, yeah. if you were to kind of hyper growth, I mean, J-Mark has, has a compound annual growth rate of 40%. So you guys are doing some wonderful things right. If someone was to say, okay, how do I open up the spigot and, and really kind of get that trajectory? And you could point them to two things there, um, one or two things. You, you, pick, you pick which ones. Um, which one would it be that the successful companies do well? Well, I, I think all the successful companies understand their business model, the financial model. Right. You, you have to know 
your your cost of sales. You have to know. I mean, the goal of sales is if I if I invest a dollar into my sales and marketing engine, it, it should re return something greater than a dollar. Uh, and I need to know how long it's going to take to get that money back. And and then after I get it back, how much of that is is cogs, you know, cost of goods. And, and if I don't understand those pieces, I don't know how to invest in sales. I don't know how to invest in people. I don't know how to put money in the bank. And so I'd say the companies that, that really understand their financial model um, are, are, are going to at least have the foundation of what it means to be successful in business. You can outsell your ability to deliver to deliver if you don't understand your financial model and how to invest in your ratios of, of people to sales or de delivery capabilities to sales. So when you get that right, it gives you permission to hire the, the resources to deliver better or to invest in sales or to train operations and processes uh, and all of those things. So I would say it's know how to sell and, and make good promises, get your financial model right, and then make sure you deliver them through the processes at the end. But the financial model is kind of the heart of, of that piece of it, governed by good leadership. Fabulous. Fantastic, Tom. And I'm a finance guy, as you know. Yeah. Um, and so the, the the companies I've been in who really don't understand the unit economics of their business and how the business really makes money, many of them think they do, right? But when you get down to what you're saying there, and, and I, I remember in uh, J-Mark, part of your success is uh, when, when it was kind of in, in the decline phase is rejiggering the economic model of your business. Yes. Which gave you some room and it was never comfortable, I'm sure, but it gave you some comfort to generate that predictable cash flow to reinvest back in the business. But I agree 100%. And many companies get it wrong that I've got to rely on a, a set of P&L accounts and balance sheets, which come out four weeks later after the month. And they, they believe that's the way to run a business. It's not the way at all, right? No. You've got to keep your finger on the pulse and know those unique economics as to how and track them. And yeah. track them. Yeah. 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 And, and I think, you know, when you, when you break it down and, and the gift of, of technology today is, is, is generally speaking, it's easy to get to the truth of financials. Yeah, uh, I mean, you can really see what does it take me to, to deliver a, you know, a widget, you know, how much does it cost me to do it, whether you're producing it or whether you're buying and selling it or whatever, like it's, it's not near as hard as it used to be to get to the answers to those questions. Uh, and and when we know those unit components all the way through the unit economics, as you described it, which I love, it, it it changes the whole game. It's like, well, I'm not making enough margin in order to pay my people, so I've got to change my margin. So let's do a price adjustment or let's reduce our cogs or whatever is appropriate. When we get that right, then things start to fall in line. So, yes. Beautifully said. Wow. Beautifully said. Okay. And and during your, your it was a struggle and, and I can sense from how you described it, it were tough days. Um, and so it sounds as though, you know, even from the adapt or die that you build in kind of risk management and financial safety into this. And maybe that's part of your journey, um, having built a company when it was on, on the other side of, <laughs> of the hill. And so what are the, what are the few things that a business leader must do during uncertain times, yeah, it's a it's a tough it's a tough time. Uh, you know, we may be entering into some tough times you yes. know, right around the corner. I, I anticipate that we will. Um, and I, you know, I was you know I talked about some of the 
the mentors and coaches I had over the years. And, and I had, I had two uh, that, that stand out in this arena, Tim Brewer and, and Paul Dipple, who are just amazing individuals. And they, they taught me about this idea that, that cash is safety in the business and, and that you got to get comfortable with paying uncle Sam because you've got to show some profits at the end of the day, you know, cause we used to run it like, well, how do we run it to a zero P and L at the end of the year? So we don't have to pay taxes. And, Inevitably, we didn't have any cash. And, you know, it's like, you know, we were you know, the company value is essentially nil. I mean, because every every year at the end of the year, it was like we never made money. Um, and they they really challenged me to say and to think through, look, you've got to pay Uncle Sam, you got to pay taxes. And that that belief system of going down that path is you need to have a safety mechanism in the business for a couple of reasons. One, winter's coming. Uh, there's going to be tough times and, and things that occur. And, and uh, two, because if you you don't serve your own family well, if the if the business that you have put your heart and soul into is actually worth nothing on paper, um, it, you need to build value in the business so that at some point, whether you decide to exit and retire and do it like in, in the dream way, or if, if you have a health issue and need to sell the business and step out of it, it needs to be worth something. <laughs> and, and then finally, so that you can reinvest in people. Like if you just want to, you know, take $10,000 and do something special or, you know, invest in training or hire somebody new, if you have no cash, you have no permission to get creative and innovative in the business. You need to be able to try things and have them fail and, and, you know, redo them and, um, you know, screw some things up here and there. And, and it just gives you grace in the business when, when you get it right. And it took us a while to understand that, but they, they, you know, I, I went fighting, uh, kicking and screaming. Uh, but once I, once I really understood it and embraced it, it was a game changer for us that has, has allowed us to do some really special things. I mean, we, just to give you an example, we we just did a really large bonus to everybody in the organization because of the employee tax credits, the retention credits that came out, yeah. Yeah. where a lot of business owners just kept all of that money. Uh, we we had enough safety in the business that we we were comfortable, so we took that and we just wrote checks to the whole company uh, and paid for vacations and you know some people like one one guy paid off a car. I mean, it's just it's just cool stories and and those are the life changing moments that you you just that make leading the company, all worth it. Absolutely. Beautifully said. Thank you for that. All right. Okay. Now we talked about complexity and, and how you meander complexity. And as you've grown, things have become more complex, of course. And this sure. is the Icarus syndrome and the three warning signs every leader should see. All right. And what I loved about what you said earlier, uh, Tom, it's that it is a two-way street. You've got to rely on the troops and the front lines to be able to kind of, you know, get their input and their feedback, particularly at the customer level, right? So mm -hmm. um, just how do you overcome that complexity? How do you get in the in the heart of an organization such that you get that two-way kind of feedback to get through the complexities of the business, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I think you have to be a really good listener. Um, you know, I think there's so many leaders that, believe and i fell into this trap or have fallen into this trap before uh that, that one you're supposed to have all the answers uh when when as a leader it actually shows strength and vulnerability if you say i don't know let's go figure it out 
like that's an okay answer for a leader to have. And I thought, well, I'm the CEO. I'm supposed to have all the answers. <laughs> the truth yeah. is I, I don't, there's no way to have all the answers. And so um, when you, when you create the, the, the uh, mechanisms or the capability, the culture in the business to listen first and listen to hear and not listen just to respond um, because you think you have an answer, then, then I think it becomes self, fulfilling or, you know, it, it starts to feed on itself a little bit because then people are anxious to provide feedback or provide input or, or to, to share what's going on in the business. And again, I'll say we're not perfect. We, we miss things, but it, it's not unusual for one of our frontline people to raise their hand and say, hey, I've got a problem. This, this one thing stinks. We need to fix it. Uh, and, and we're happy to have that feedback. I mean, we all feedback is a gift. So whether it's their perception or it's the reality of the situation, doesn't matter. Let's let's pay attention to it and, and solve that problem. Um, I, I would say the other thing that we did that was a real gift to our our ability to lead well in, in the business is is we created a what we describe as the culture crew inside JMark. It's it's a voluntary group of folks, and we get together once a month. and And the the only rule is that there's no lying. Everybody has to be a truth teller. Everybody has to throw it out. And when we first started and we went into these conversations, it was it was kind of open mic, like tell us what's good and tell us what's bad. And in that group brought lots of bad things out. Uh, I facilitated the conversations. I'm, I'm in every one of the meetings and 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 just listen. And it's like, oh, if it's that bad, let's well, that feeds into the quarterly priorities and the rocks that we're working on in order to to improve the business. And then the culture crew transformed from a group that was complaining and frustrated to a group of like, well, things are so good. What else can we make better? Like, I mean, like it literally transformed how the, the company operated. And instead of complaints, we were getting compliments. And um, and it, that team just did tremendous amount of of work and feedback to the organization to, to make us better. And it's, it's that truth teller syndrome that you've got to, you've got to create. I love that Tom, because there's a ton of important stuff that no one's telling you, right. In, in, in most organizations. Oh yeah. And, and if you've got a mechanism for that feedback, it is just, it is just a wonderful thing. Okay. We'll move to the quick rounds. All okay. right. What would you change in any area of life, not just business? Um, any era of life, not just business, I, I would change capacity. Um, there's so much more I want to do every single day and, in just a small window, whether it's time with my kids, time with my wife, I'm getting work done, you know, having uninterrupted head down time. If I could change anything, it would just, I, I no sleep, no breaks for food. Just, just gets fun stuff done. Awesome. Awesome. What are you grateful for in any area of life, not just business? Uh, I'll, I'll say truth tellers. Um, my wife is, uh, I'm sure you can relate. Yeah. A, a, a good, a good soulmate in your, in your life isn't afraid to tell you the truth when, even when you don't want to hear it. And she's Absolutely. hit me with some hard news and some, <laughs> some truths over the years that, that have been transformative. And, and so uh, I mean, beyond the obvious things of health and family and those things, having a truth teller in your life that is is that trusted soul, it's a gift. Absolutely. Here, here. Here, here, Tom. Okay. The quick round. What do you mean by you can't lead others if you can't lead yourself? 
Yeah. Well, you know, I think every person has an argument with themselves every day. You know, it, it starts with, do I really want to get out of bed right now? Um, and do I want to do the workout? Do, do I want to eat well? Um, and, and if you, if you constantly lose those arguments with the devil self versus the non-devil self, um, then it becomes really hard to lead well. And so I think, I think it's important for a leader to have the, the discipline and the capability to, to self-analyze and recognize when they're not leading themselves well and making bad choices and doing those things. And so when you get that mostly right, we'll never, none of us will ever get it all right. But when we get it mostly right, I think it, it, it helps us to serve the team and set an example to lead by example. Absolutely. Okay. And your second, um, statement you have to love the truth yeah uh it's tough um you know my i say it in the book and i say it on a regular basis inside the company you have to love the truth even when you don't like it um you know we let our emotions get in the way we let our biases get in the way we uh perceptions are what we want to be the case you know like i really want this guy to be successful i, I know he can do it i know the truth is he just doesn't have the skills or the capability or the wants or whatever it is, you know, and, and so you just have to embrace the truth, even when you, you hate it. And, and sometimes, you know, I'm sure you've run into this in leadership where, where you want something more for somebody than they want it for themselves. It's like, you know, it's like, if you just do this, you'd be amazing and they won't do it. And it's like, oh my gosh, but the truth is they don't want it and you can't make them want it. Uh, and, and that's okay. Um, it, whether it's financial performance or whatever, you know, you got to love the truth. And when you learn, when you learn that the truth should be the guiding light, then, then it makes your life a lot easier as a business leader. Absolutely love that. Okay. As a coach, what book have you gifted to others as most gifted to others and why? Uh, a lot. Uh, if you, if you go by volume, it's probably turned the ship around because everybody that is hired in JMark uh, gets one. And, and we continue to, to train on it. But individually, um, I probably Abundance by Peter Diamantis, uh, the whole idea of uh, living with an abundant mindset and, and just thinking that way instead of living in scarcity and, and those things. Um, you know, I, I had a, a quote recently that that being optimistic might not make you successful, but, but living a life of pessimism will definitely make sure that you're not successful. And I think that that summarized it pretty well. It's, it's you've got to believe in a better future and you got to fight for it. And when you do that, it's, it's good. And in Peter's book really helped me with that. So I've shared that with a lot of folks. Hey, hey, beautifully said. Okay. Who's your leadership hero and why? Um, Oh, I've got a bunch, Richard. I, I could I could list a bunch. I, I would probably have to come back to my mom and my dad. Um, you know, uh, I've I've had the the blessing in life of having an incredible family in lots of areas. My mom was the first to demonstrate service leadership, servant leadership to me. Um, she was a teacher and uh, she helped kids that uh, were in tough spots and went out of her way to make sure that they they could work a little bit and make a little money and pay for dinner or, you know, whatever it was, you know, just to create an experience where they had success and, uh, and love on them when nobody else would. And she did that. And my dad and what he did in our community and how he led by example of just being there as a rock in the family and leading through tough times and, 
you know, my mom uh, came down with breast cancer and he, he stepped right up to the plate and, and helped our whole family navigate through that and was a rock star all the way through and has continued to be so. So uh, I would say those, they, they set the bar. And may God bless you and your family. Tom. Ah, thank you very much. For sure. And thank you for your service in the Navy and for our great country. I, I do have a question uh, from that is what was your greatest learning um, from your service in the Navy? Uh, yeah, ironically, um, I, I worked with a lot of amazing people in the Navy, but my biggest lesson was how not to be a leader. Um, the, the guy that, uh, that I first started working for, who was a Lieutenant in the Navy was, you know, we talked about nobody wants to work for an ass. This guy was the ass. He was incredible, uh, in a bad way, like, uh, very arrogant, very demanding. You'll respect me for who I am, you know, my title and not how I treat you or how I serve you. He was everything a leader should not be. And, and I vowed from that point forward that if I ever had any kind of a authority responsibility of leadership i was never going to be that guy so it, it's been it has been what put me on the path that that led me here and so while it was a horrible thing at the time it was it was a great gift for me to know what not to do awesome awesome okay last two questions what impact do you want for the business world from your book adapt or die yeah um you know i believe that small business can change the world uh, I think there's a lot of controversy. I think there's a lot of just frustration and anger out in the world today um, and and just polarizing um, politics. And, and I think a, a well-run business can be the foundation that people need in their lives. It can be a safe haven when the rest of the world is in chaos. If they can come into a consistent experience where they're treated with respect and appreciated, then, you know, it can make the difference between somebody going over the edge mentally or not, you know, and having having a, a positive outlook and perspective and, and positive life. And my goal would be that, that more businesses facilitate that outcome for folks. Wow. And you have the guiding light as, as a servant leader. I mean, uh, if, if there was ever a definition, that would be it, Tom. So thank you for that. All right. Last question. What is your parting advice on transforming a business to success? Um, I, I guess I would have to go back to, um, what we, we talked about earlier in, in loving the truth, um, serve people, honor people and love the truth. Um, it, it you know, it, like we've said, it, sometimes it's the simplest things, but when you treat people really well and your goal is to, to honor and respect them and to lift them up, um, and you love the truth about what's going on in the business and you don't let your own personal biases or, or want to's interfere with that, um, then you can make better choices and, and you can, you know, put the, put the, a company or a team or whatever on the right path. And, and so when, when you get those things right, there's, there's a lot of other things that kind of fall into place like dominoes. Wow. Fabulous, Tom. You know, and and I go back to our dear friend Amanda Holmes, who was really uncomfortable um, at times in our conversation because she didn't like the tagline servant leadership. And she kept coming back to say, you have to live it. It's not a tagline. It's and and Tom, I can tell you from our conversation, you're living servant leadership, man. It's fantastic. You're, you're changing your world, changing our world in your own way. You're bringing humanity to business. All right, everything you're doing there. 
we're and, trying. Uh, this has just been a, a tremendous, tremendous conversation. And, and I know our audience and our listeners are going to get some some true wisdom bites from this one. Well, thank, thank you very you. much for your time. Tom, this is thank tremendous. You. I really enjoyed it. Thank yeah, you. I have enjoyed it as well. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate it. It's it's a pleasure to be here with you and appreciate everything that you're doing as well. It's so cool. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. All the best to you. Love you very much, Tom. All the very best to you. Take Thank care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And my key takeaways from my conversation with Thomas Douglas on the algorithm of business success. I loved his statement, you can't lead others if you can't lead yourself and you have to love the truth. But what I really found interesting was the keys to fixing the people puzzles. Put people first, drive innovation in your organization, drive high energy, and that will lead to high performance. And we also covered what are the five things that a business leader must do during uncertain times. Build safety into the business, create a culture of transparency, put people first, create emergency plans and processes, and be present and visible. Thank you. I hope that you found today's session valuable. If so, please follow me on Instagram at outram.richard and post your comments. Thank you again. Until the next podcast.